Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school, and that is what this podcast is designed to do to educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only, to learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. I'm grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. What's going on, everybody? We got a big, beautiful man. <laughs> I love you, man. It's good to see you. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you know my man Nuncio there. Nuncio, what's up, brother? Um, so yeah, I was just kind of hyping them up, Jade. I was telling them that um, this concept of memento mori is one that I think is so perfect because it's the only real thing we have to do in life besides being born um, and how you have embodied it over the years and being you know, a clinician, being an entrepreneur, being a creative, um, but just someone who's in constant pursuit of their own self. Um, but keeping that ultimatum, that, that, that ultimate finite goal there, no matter what you're working on, like that is still a driving force of yours. And so I, I know you, you actually have it tattooed, right? I do. I do. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I think that's, is that the side? Yeah. That's yeah, uh, yeah. right there along the chest. It's a reminder, you know, and it's uh, something that's really powerful, but I'm, I'm excited to talk to you guys about this concept because it's been incredibly freeing for me um, for sure. And emotional freedom is something that when you have allows you to do all kinds of things in life that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Yeah. And so, I mean, Jade, I would like to cue it up right there. Um, this concept of memento mori, I, I described, you know, it, it is literally you must die. And the emphasis there is on must. Um, how do you interpret that? And how do you how do you translate to people in the work that you do? Yeah. And just let me know, uh, you guys who are listening. I'm in Costa Rica. So if my connection is a little delayed, just let me know if I get frozen at all. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. So this this is a common saying, actually, in Christianity. Uh, you'll come across memento mori Christianity for any Christians on the line. But it's really... Um, comes from the Stoics and it's translated in uh, different ways, but literally remember death, memento, remember death. The whole idea behind it is to essentially say that you don't have time. And so to start out, let's just do a brief thought experiment. Let's say that I tell all of you that you don't die. It doesn't matter. You get hit by a car. You don't die. You get shot in the face. You don't die. Like you're just not going to die. Period. You're not going to age and die. You've got eternity to be on the planet. And then if I also tell you, you also have this one big thing to do that people need. Right. There has not been anybody on the planet in my mind like Chase ever, nor me, nor all of you, nor will there ever be. OK, but you get to live forever. Nothing is going to harm you. And you have one thing, let's call it special cargo that you have to deliver on this planet. If you live forever and you can never be killed, when are you going to deliver that special cargo? Now, if I tell you 
you're going to die tomorrow or you're going to die next week. How much urgency are you going to have to deliver that special cargo? It's going to be an immediate job that gets done that people will benefit from. And so when the Stoics talk about memento mori, it's not to scare themselves. It's not to be tough and courageous. It's not any of that. It is the ultimate anti-procrastination device. If you believe you have special cargo to deliver, and I believe you all do, I believe that's why you're in this program with Chase in the first place, right? That's why we do this self-development work in the first place, so that we can deliver our special cargo. And you have no time ticking to force you to do it then you're likely to do anything but that. And that is the big thing about memento mori. Always remember death. You have no time. You do not know when it's coming. It can happen in 15 minutes. It can happen in 15 days. It can happen in 15 years. For all we know, maybe it happens in 150 years with advances in anti-aging and everything else. But you're going to die. And you have got to do your work. Otherwise, why are you here on the planet? Now, the other thing I'll say about this is, is it scary, right? Is this scary when we talk about death? From my perspective, it's not One of my favorite actually sayings about death is Socrates. You know what he said? You know, he's, he's all about logic, right? So he says, death is either a dreamless sleep or it's a bodiless life. Why are either of those scary? And so we don't actually have a problem with death. What we have a problem with is the fear around death. But what is fear? Fear is really just judgment, right? It's all the judgments we put on what might happen. And when we are judging those things, we are not living and we are not delivering our special cargo. And this is the game that people play. The other thing about this that's really interesting is, imagine a thing that we all have to do. Everyone has to die. Every human that has ever lived has died. Every human who will ever live will die, right? Now think about the utter ridiculousness of not talking about something that every single one of us must do. To me, it's insane. We should be thinking about death always because the idea here is if you cannot understand death, you cannot understand life in the same way you cannot understand day without understanding night. This is the nature of the world uh, that we live in. Now, there's a lot that we can do around this. So I'm just going through the general philosophy um, behind this. Um, but to me, this is where you must start. So not only should you be considering death, the argument goes, if you're not, then you actually can't live. And this very special cargo that you are here to deliver never actually gets delivered in the way it's meant to because there's no urgency behind it. If you knew you were going to die next week, you are going to live a pretty kick-ass life in the next week. You're going to tell all the people that you know that you love them. You're probably going to write that book if it takes you 48 hours to write it, 
you're going to get it done. You're going to do everything in your power to do the unfinished business that you are delaying. And this is why it is so powerful. Otherwise, why are we here on this planet? We are here to die, basically. And to me, that is synonymous with we are here to live. And so I will start there and see where you want to go with this. But hopefully you're beginning to understand the power um, in this philosophy and why it should be front and center. One more thing I'll say about this, and you may find it morbid, but it's the way that you begin to use this information. I pay attention to who dies. I pay attention to the way they've died. When I'm looking at news stories and you don't see this and we a celebrity dies, I want to know how did they die? What were the situations? I am fascinated with all the ways that we humans can die. And the more I've thought about it, the less afraid I have become of dying. Now, I'll be honest, I'm as afraid of dying as the rest of you, but only in as such that I'm afraid that I will not be able to live my life. And I'm afraid that there will be some kind of pain or lack of control around death. Right. That's really what it is. Right. It's really about control and releasing control. And so we can talk a little bit about any number of those things. But I want to see um, if this makes sense to you all and where you think you want to go next with this, Chase, and what thoughts you have on. Yeah, Jade, thank you for that so much. Um, What I want to kind of lob up here for everybody is we're all working on individual things. Um, overall, we, everybody here is on the personal development path. That's very unique to everybody's journey. Uh, we have individual goals, but the whole aspect of goal setting, the whole aspect of, first of all, choosing to better your life, to better your wellness, to better your business, to better your relationships, uh, is a very, very powerful thing. But sometimes the next steps are confusing. The next steps are scary. The next steps are uncertain, uh, or we don't keep them consistently enough. We don't respect the decision we've made. What can this, this aspect of Memento Mori do in, in terms of helping us keep adherent to the choice that we've made? How powerful, how ne- necessary is the end to help us get started and to keep that momentum? Well, one of the things that I'll say here, we've been, I opened it up and we opened it up with the idea of death as a physical thing, right? The other aspect of death and perhaps the more powerful aspect of death is what Chase is sort of talking about now. And that is the psychological death that occurs. There are basically two things that are certain in life, change and death. And they're basically the same thing in a sense, right? Every time you change, every time you try to become something you aren't currently, a part of you must die. So there's two certainties in life, death and death right? Change and change. So the idea here is how we use this is we also go, not only must I die physically, but in order for me to remember death and to hold memento mori to my chest, I must allow myself to die psychologically again and again as I step into different aspects of myself. Rest assured, the major reason why we, including me and all of us humans, don't get where we want to go is because we refuse to murder our old selves. This is really what it's about. And I'm using that language on purpose. I'm using very strong language. If you want to do anything in life that is different and takes work around goals and to 
make the difference in only the way you can. Rest assured, you are wrapped up in old stories, old traumas, old dramas, old patterns, old emotions, all these old circular things. And in order to get to where you want to go, the second aspect of memento mori is not physical death now, but psychological death. You must murder your old self and you must do it again and again and again. And not only are we afraid of physical death, but we are terrified of that psychological death that is required, right? We are terrified of who we might lose, what we might lose, the identity we might lose, the identity that we may become that no one will maybe not like, right? This is the game that we are playing. And so it goes way beyond this. So when we start talking about goals and getting work done and becoming a different human, we oftentimes think we have to to do's. We got to do this. We got to do A. We got to do B. We got to do C. We got to do X. We got to do Y. We got to do Z. First, before we can do any of that thing, any of those things, we have to kill the old things. We have to murder the old parts of ourselves that hinder that, right? We can't do plus one if we're living negative one. It's just going to cancel it out. So we have to kill negative one before we can have plus one. Does that make sense? And so in a, in a sense, what I would be asking yourselves is two, two things right off the bat. What is it that when I'm on my deathbed will make me proud to have been alive for my physical death? Second, what is necessary for me to murder within myself to be the human I want to be? These by the way, are the most difficult questions that any of us will wrestle with. Because you know what it means? It means the ending of relationships. Yes, with other people, but also with our old self. And we do not like that because we don't want that kind of uncertainty. We sit in this gap of, I want this, but I don't want to give up this. And I, I work in the health and fitness field and I oftentimes tell people, it's like, People really don't want to listen to the advice I say. What they really want, the reason why diets don't work, you know why? Is because they just want to eat what they want to eat. That's what it is. They want to eat what they want to eat and still get the results. They're not willing to kill their craving for ice cream. Ice cream is too important to them. A lean body is not as important to them as ice cream. And until they murder their relationship with ice cream, they can never be the person they want to be, and this is the game we play in every single aspect of our lives. Jay, would you say that's kind of um, the psychological aspect you're talking about there? Is that the struggle that we need to be having top of mind is we're not, you know, we may not be on a diet. We're not willing to maybe give up the ice cream. We don't, we have not yet prioritized that end result we're after, but with the psychological self, the psychological death, um, we're not yet willing to give up our own identity or in my, in my experience, personally, I think it's also, we don't fully understand what identity we're giving up. We ha we're not even at a point to where we know what we're sacrificing, what we're giving up to step into this growth phase. Um, and so I, I think that's a really important concept to remember here is that before something can die, we have to kind of put it a name on it. We have to give it, give it a face. And so that in and of itself is its own form of work. 100%. I love the way you said that. And, and the way I would start this, if I was talking to all of you and you were saying, you know, Jade, how did you, you know, do what you did or what parts of yourself um, did you have to 
kill? And how, to, to follow Chase's logical reasoning here, did you discover those things? You know how you discover those things? It's pretty easy. And let's play a little game. Imagine, just for a second, um, we'll get a little bit new agey and woo-woo. And I'm not saying I believe this. It's just a fun game. But let's imagine you have spirit guides, okay? And let's imagine the universe is trying to talk to you. And it wants you to do certain things, right? Let's just imagine that for a minute. How would the universe or, quote, spirit guides talk to you in this dimension of matter, space, and time? They would probably show you repeated things, wouldn't they? Repeated obstacles, repeated patterns, emotions popping up over and over again. Maybe if you're really into new age stuff, maybe they show you 11 and 11 over and over again to get your attention, right? Again, I don't, I don't necessarily believe this, but my point is, if we just play this game for a minute, what you'll find is the things that you need to change are the patterns that are repeating and keeping you stuck. Each one of us knows someone and is seen within ourselves patterns that repeat, emotional emotions that come up again and again and get stuck, right? And obstacles that seem to appear again. There it is again, the same amount of money. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm making $20,000 more you know, in my bank account, and yet I'm still not being able to pay my bills. Here it is again a different relationship. It feels like the same person. Here it is again, that same feeling of not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy enough, being afraid to use my voice. These are the psychological deaths creeping up. These are the psychological cancers that are taking your life that you need to exercise in a sense. These are the things and these are the starts and you can name those, right? To Chase's point, you have to get very specific about those. You can name those patterns. You all know exactly what they are, don't you, <laughs> in your life? We know what those are. And so step one is pattern one, pattern two, pattern three, emotion one, emotion two, emotion three, recurrent obstacle one, recurrent obstacle two, recurrent obstacle three. And once you get those, then you begin to look and go, what is it that I am being in the world? How is it that I am being? What am I refusing to give up that will not allow me to progress forward? And, and catch that there. Giving up something is killing a part of yourself. Is it not? That is ultimately what it is when you really give up something. And that's the thing that we don't really want to do. Let's say you've got a drinking problem, right? And it's you know, you're not an alcoholic, but you're drinking every single night and it's become a bad habit and it's recurrent and you see the pattern. It's like every time I'm alone or I'm not in a relationship, I'm, you know, drinking wine or something like that. Right. Ultimately, you have to essentially go, I am going to kill the emotion that craves the wine. OK, it's not about stop drinking wine. You can't do that. You have to kill the emotion. You have to kill the emotion that creates the craving for wine. You have to kill the emotion that keeps you from having the money you want. You have to kill the emotion that makes you doubt this ability to put out your special cargo. And once you name it, then you have to say, okay, let me go back. And here's how you do it. There's something in science called a story edit. And the story edit basically is the thing that happened to you. Take your deepest pain. I know Chase's, he knows mine. You all know yours, right? We all have them. But take the thing that has been most traumatic for you. 
And you basically write the story of who you were being up to that pain point. Okay. That's the old you. And write it in detail, all things you did. This should be something that you are responsible for, right? So when you think about it, some of us have pain that is something that we didn't really do, okay? But others have had pain that we created, self-inflicted wounds. So focus on a self-inflicted wound. Write out how you got there in detail, okay? You know that history. You can it Now, from there, you write forward in time as if you're a movie producer and director and writing out the plot and the script of how that being of you created this new being of you. And what you will find in any good movie, in any hero's journey, is that the hero has to go through a personal death before they get the insight that sends them into their new self. And so you write the story of who you were, you write the story of who you need to be, and immediately in those two stories opens up all the gaps of the things you must kill. And then you begin to be different. And if you want to know the science behind it, it's, you know, that old saying, cliche saying, at least in my field, some of you may not know, but brain cells that fire together, wire together. They literally create a new you. You are not, I hope, your adolescence, much of your adolescent self has been killed off. We hope now kill off the rest of it. You know, and Jay, for me, it's um, that this concept I, I think is more obvious on the other side, or at least what, when I've realized that an old version of me has died or, you know, consciously or subconsciously, it's because I'm on a rebirth. I, I'm on a, a new, new um, case in point. You know, anybody here, have you, have you read something that just inspired radical action or even just minimal action, but you read something, you, you, you heard something, you interpreted something that inspired you to change your course of action, whether that's immediately in that day, um, you, you, you had a conversation, you had a realization, you had um, an experience, you maybe promotion at work, uh, a new client, you gained weight, lost weight, whatever that marker for success or a new thing was for you that, that felt good, that was an elation, that felt like it catapulted you. In that moment, you are in a rebirth. Well, in order for that to happen, a version of you had to have just died. And so to maybe grab hold of this concept even more, um, you know, just reverse engineer it. So think about a time when you were on the other side of success, when you had an epiphany, when you cross, cross this finish line, when you leveled up in any way, the moment that you realize that happened is also the moment when an old version of you is gone and dead. And next steps for me there is, that's a great realization. It's cool to be on the other side of this, but I think there is, there is worth and there's necessity to kind of turn back in, in, in a way, respectfully mourn that death. We recognize what has passed and, you know, in, in it's a mourning of our own self. It's a mourning of who we used to be, how we used to think, how we used to go about the day, what we used to do to contribute to others or lack thereof. And within that mourning process, I think if we can have this lens, we can probably extract even more of out of that transition. Right. There's no question about it. Cause think about it, right? Like, um, you know, success, we, we, we oftentimes uh, repeat success. So just like we have patterns of dysfunction and patterns of failures and patterns of obstacles, we also in our lives have patterns of success that we have used that work well for us. 
a typical example of this is, you know, someone who's been very, very good in, let's say, health and fitness pursuits, but horrible in uh, personal finance pursuits. They have a very particular way of approaching health and fitness with discipline and, uh, you know, doing the things they need to do and prepping food and this and that, that they don't bring those same success patterns to health or to the financial space. Now, it's not a direct correlation necessarily, but there is a degree of success built in that you can bring into other domains. And if you don't look backwards to see how you leveled and got to your next level in one domain, you may miss the things that you have done that will help you get to the other domain. The other thing about this too is that in that process, you know, looking backwards, writing, writing what happened and then moving forwards versus being forward and looking backwards is it uncovers stories. Really, when we talk about um, a psychological death, what we're really talking about is the stories that we unconsciously live. Most of these stories were written for us, by the way. In a, in a very real sense, we humans are, um, you know, we, we are sort of domesticated, right? We're domesticated by the culture we live in and the family we grow up in. And these stories uh, are everywhere. And we don't even know that we're living them, you know, like, you know, stories like wine, you know, jocks are not smart. You're a football player. That's a story. transpeat those in other areas. And so in a sense, you have to kind of look at this as um, always uh, thinking about, I don't have time. I may not be around. My physical death is coming. I better do my work. And number two, in order to do my work and unload my special cargo, I need to become a different person, which means I have to die before I die, Right. And this is, by the way, a lot of traditions talk about this. If you're into plant medicines or you're into um, meditation or you're into any of these things that people talk about, essentially what they're doing is they're trying to die before they die. And there are many different ways to do this, putting yourself, you know, jumping out of airplanes, swimming with sharks, taking plant medicines, doing meditation, you know, putting yourself in precarious situations, um, all of these things are us humans uh, attempting to die before we die. I call it the fear PR, basically. And the fear PR basically is something that you take that you are afraid of, let's say to make it super simple, spiders, okay? Terrified of spiders. Well, the fear PR chips away at that fear of spiders, slowly destroying and murdering different pieces of the psyche. So first you start watching documentaries about spiders. Second, you go and uh, look at spiders at the zoo with glass in front of you. Third, you go and, you know, touch a spider with a stick that's inside a cage. Fourth, next thing you know, you're holding a spider or the spider's out in the room with you. And guess what? This is not made up what I'm saying. They've actually done this in studies where they take arachnophobes and do this process with them over a four hour period. And they take people who are terrified of spiders 
and literally murder that old self. And next thing they know, they're holding these tarantulas within four hours. And we have the ability to do this. You have to chunk these fears down. Behind all those fears, by the way, are stories, right? So hopefully you're starting to get uh, the point of how this works and how death, both physical and psychological, are the things that uh, are forcing this whole mechanism, in fact. Jade, I'd love to keep going there a little bit more if we could, please. Um, I don't know if anybody here is afraid of spiders or you know, afraid of sharks or afraid of you know, kind of these tangible things. Uh, I like to apply that to the fear of of growth, the fear of success, the fear of I'm not good enough, the fear I'm, of, of failure, the fear of leveling up in whatever we are here to work on in particular. Um, in my experience, usually uh, we are the most limiting factor in that scale. We are the most limiting factor in that growth because it is our own fear of taking that action or even fear of, well, what if I succeed? What if I become this different person? What if I, what if I change? Because that's so uncertain. The brain doesn't do well with uncertainty. So we then begin to catastrophize because, well, if I change, then that means the people around me are going to change and my relationships are going to change and my job might change. And all this, all this change, is it worth it? Is that change worth the other side of this fear? So how can we move from fear of, you know, spiders to the fear of this next level, you know, your words there, your, your, your mantra to, to actually to take action and, and to know that what's on the other side is, is worth it and that we can have the courage to push through that. Yeah, I love this. Now, this is where we get into the meat of this. This is where the really exciting part is in this change. So we and we've already covered all the basics. So now we can have this conversation. So. Let's go through. I want you guys to do this right now. Take out your, your pencil, right? And go, okay, so if you're going to get, or your, you know, your notes, if you're going to get where you want to be, I want you to become, I want you to start writing down all the stories. So uh, let's say you are going to up level in six months. You're going to be kind of where you want to be. Now let's start going through all the stories that are keeping you there. I'm going to help you out with some of them. My significant other may feel, uh, Less than if I'm doing better than them and making more money than them. Number two, to be that successful, I'm going to have to be working incredibly hard. Number three, people who have, who have lots of social media followers are arrogant. They're so self-centered. Like, I don't want to be that, right? Um, what other stories can you tell yourself? This is what you're doing. You may not be conscious of it, but this is exactly what you're doing. If I have that much money, it's going to be more money, more problems. What am I going to do with that? What is, what is my family going to think if they see me in my job and doing X, Y, Z? You know, um, these are all, these are not small things, you guys. These are huge things. Jumping in real quick to tell you about one of our newest sponsors. And I am super excited about this sponsor because it is a tool that I have been using ever since I found out about the company. So let me set it up this way for you guys. What if you could peer into your metabolism and see exactly how certain foods are impacting your health and fitness? What if you could essentially look into your bloodstream and say, that particular food did this to my blood sugar and this particular food did that to my blood sugar? Would that not be cool? Well, this is exactly what Levels 
health does. Levels is essentially a continuous glucose monitor that monitors your blood sugar levels throughout the day. Every five minutes or so, it is taking a reading of your blood sugar levels and telling you how stress is affecting blood sugar, how your sleep is impacting blood sugar, how the different foods you are eating are impacting your blood sugars. You get to see in real time how all of these things are impacting one of the key indicators of health in your body, blood glucose concentrations. This is why Levels Health is so powerful. Continuous glucose monitoring is perhaps one of the best tools that we have been given ever in the health and fitness world. And here is why. Each one of us are different. We talk about that all the time on the Next Level Human podcast. I always am mentioning to you to stop following one-size-fits-all diets and instead start listening to the signs and symptoms that your body is giving you, the biofeedback that your body is sending you. However, that is somewhat subjective, isn't it? So how do we know, for example, if something that we think is healthy may not be that healthy for us? Well, now we have an objective tool, a continuous glucose monitor that will tell you exactly how certain foods are impacting you. And there's lots of research on this. I'll give you one example about this. Sourdough bread, for example. It is very popular for people to say, well, sourdough bread is different than regular bread and has less of a blood sugar response than other breads. And that's based on some research that compared sourdough bread in terms of its glycemic index to regular bread. Except as soon as you put a continuous glucose monitor on, different individuals and give them regular bread or sourdough bread, you will see that in some people, sourdough bread actually raises blood sugar to the same degree or even more than regular bread. And this is across the board with many different types of food. Now, wouldn't it be incredible if you had this tool and you could wear a continuous glucose monitor every day and be able to get your blood sugar levels every single day? You know, when I used to do this in the clinic, I would have to do blood sugar, I would have to stick people's finger or have them do it themselves. And what I would do is I would take a blood sugar measurement before the meal, then 30, 60, and 90 minutes after the meal. And I would try to infer from that data what was going on inside their body. Now I can get all of that data all at once from a device that you wear for 14 days straight and then switch it out. I've been wearing the continuous glucose monitor essentially since it has come out and levels has the best app in the business, in my um, estimation, in my opinion, in terms of how they measure and how the app delivers the data to you. You can actually enter in exactly what you ate at the time you ate it and see the corresponding blood sugar curves that are going on with this Levels device. I could not be more excited for the CGM technology, the continuous glucose monitor technology, and I could not be more of a fan of Levels Health in terms of what they have done to bring this technology to the masses. I love that they've decided to jump on board with Next Level Human and become a sponsor. And I hope that you will take advantage of this company to really master your metabolic health by getting on board with a continuous glucose monitor. Check them out, levelshealth.com. That's levelshealth.com. Check them out. They are one of our newest sponsors. I'm super excited about them. And now let's go ahead and get back to the show. These are the things that you are not thinking about 
that are holding you back, that you are terrified of, that I am terrified of. I'm human just like you, right? I'll tell you one of my big fears, okay? One of my, and I still have trouble getting over this. Jade, if you have all these following and you're famous and you're selling books the way you want, then famous people are assholes. Then you're an asshole, man. Then you're just this asshole dude. I want to be humble. Like, I don't want to be an asshole. I don't want people, you know. You're not, by the way, Jade. I'll throw that out there. (laughs) But that's my fear. Can you guys understand? Like, that is a deep fear of mine. I come from a generation where it's like, don't be seen. You know what I mean? You have to remain humble. Who do you think you are to be, you know, out there? And this story still lives with me. I still struggle with it. And you guys have these stories as well. And so what I want you writing right now is I want you to write down as many of these stories as you can, because these stories are fears and these fears allow for fear PRs. And you need to begin chunking these things down because these things do not write themselves by themselves, right? They don't write themselves just become because you become aware of it. You have to go out there and do that. You have to go out there and see and confront a troll, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times. You need to basically get comfortable with it. Now I'm just like, I see a troll and I just like their comment, right? Because you know how many times I've had that happen to me and I chunked that, that fear PR down. And so this is why this is so critical. So it gets very nitty gritty. We can get very philosophical about it, but the to-dos are write down every single story of what you think. Some of you do not like I'll just ask you, raise your hand right now. Do you think billionaires are out there putting chips in us and trying to steal all our money and trying to get another billion dollars and take everything away from us? If you think that on some level, I would submit to you that you don't like rich people. And then why would you want to be rich if you don't like rich people? If you distrust rich people, and that is ultimately where you're coming from, why in the world would your psyche make you rich? This is the game that we are playing. I don't see rich people like that. The rich people I know, me, my friends, the people who have been successful, they're the most generous people that I know. The more money I make, the more good I can do. You see how I've rewritten that story? But I also used to think these people, man, they just, they want more money, more power, and they're after us. Can you see that these beliefs are keeping you from getting where you want to go? Why would you want to be wealthy? If you distrust and hate rich people, why would you want to change your job if you think people are you're crazy or not like you or abandon you? You see how it works? And so you have got to begin to chunk these things down in a very big way. And this is memento mori in my mind. Remember death. Remember these stories. Murder these stories. How do I do it? I go to battle with them. I chunk them down. I become aware of them to Chase's point. I make them crystal clear in my mind, the stories that I'm telling. And then I go, I am going to kill you. And I'm going to do it with my sword first. And then I'm going to kick you here. Then I'm going to do that. And I'm going to take this process. I am not going to be this human anymore. This is the way it begins. Um. Jay, there's another unique aspect of death that comes to mind for me, and um, uh, he's not here right now, but uh, there's for sure somebody else in the group on the replay that um, is living and acting because of death that they've experienced, loss of a loved one, 
um, a sibling, in my personal experience, a father. Um, and I didn't realize how much of my life I was living. I thought I was living out of running away from death. The untimely death of my father, me 19 years old, from 19 to 35, I was living my life doing everything that I could to not have an untimely death, to avoid anything and everything that possibly could happen that I thought could happen to me, um, despite how real that might, might have been or not. But through work like this, philosophy like this, plant medicine, breath work, um, various modes to tap into levels of my conscious and subconscious and to get into altered states of, I realized that I wasn't actually living. I was just running from death. Um, and I think judging by everybody's frozen screen, I think, did I freeze again? I'm gonna wait a second here to come back. Hello, hello. Might wanna, right. There we oh, go. There All right. We're back. Okay. Um, yeah, it cut off. I was saying death can make us run away. And when we're running from death, it feels like living. But just because you're running away from death doesn't mean you're actually living the life that you want or the life that you can live. You know, in your, your words earlier, you know, this, this, this amazing cargo, this gift that you have. And I personally feel like I have not actually truly been living my life until the last year, year and a half through everything that I was just sharing. How can the fear of death make us not live our life to our full potential? If that question makes sense. Yeah, well, well, it's really interesting, right? Because death, especially for loved ones, is a really interesting thing. It's also a really beautiful thing. And here's the way I see this. If you begin to live in a way where you're like, I'm going to um, take precautions, um, uh, because I'm afraid I'm going to lose somebody or I'm going to take precautions because I'm afraid I might get hurt. Then what begins to happen is you begin to hold back the energetics of you. This special cargo begins to be stifled. And here's why, because ultimately we humans, okay, are each unique. The way I like to say it is I like to say we're unique in our people, the people who helped us, the people who hurt us, the people who taught us. We're unique in our personalities. We're unique in our passions, the things we love. We're unique in our superpowers. We all have talents and we're unique in our pain, especially our pain around loss and grief and betrayal. These five things make up our spiritual fingerprint in a sense. And in order for us to do what we need to do as humans, each one of these needs to be expressed and utilized to its fullest. So as soon as we start to protect ourselves from pain, we begin to lose a piece of our fingerprint. As soon as we begin to rein in our personality, we lose another piece of our fingerprint. As soon as we begin to hold back our superpowers and our talents, now we're down to two of the five and we can't make the differences that we want to make. That's number one. So it hinders us in that way. We begin to play small in a, in a manner of trying to protect ourselves. But here's another beautiful thing to think about. So we all know Chase's story, right? And we're all afraid. Chase terrified my father. He lived. But 
stake. And so in a very real sense, he is now not just not just living for himself. He's also living as an extension of his father. And this literally gives me goosebumps as I say this, guys, because you can feel this. This is what we mean by love is eternal. Chase embodies not just himself now, but he embodies his father and his father lives on in that. And his father will live on in Chase's children and everything he does. And if Chase is holding himself back out of the fear and the pain that that caused, he stifles not just his own growth, but he also stifles the energetic ripples that his father left for us all. Can we see that that's the way this works? So in a sense, this is how it works. And it's also why we must die. It's why my father must die too. And it's why your father must die as well. And it's why we one day will die. We humans in my mind are like a stone dropping into a pond. When that stone hits that water and creates all those ripples, there are other people, there are other boats on the water. Our ripples are either gonna lift people up and bring them to a magical place so they can realize their dreams or it's going to be a storm and sink other people. And the time we have, long after our pebble sinks to the bottom of that lake, those ripples are still going. And it's our job as humans to make those ripples matter, not just for ourselves, but for everyone who came before us, who we loved, and everything, everyone who comes after us, who we love. I have another tattoo on me. He's here. Relinqua Mamor is here. Relinqua Mamor means leave your love. It's not a romantic thing. What it means is leave your creations, leave your cargo, and do so without the need for acknowledgement or reciprocation. That's how you transcend grief and betrayal and pain and fear. Pain is a path to purpose. And so that's why I focus on this idea of death. When we really think about it, what we're really afraid of with death is pain. And what we don't realize is that pain is the best catalyst for growth. And growth is a direct conduit into love and creation. And we don't realize that. And we need to start. Jade, you're, um, if you're open to it, um, sharing these experiences where we actually can experience a version of death while we're still alive. Um, whether you choose to go down a plant medicine path or not, um, there are other ways to go about it. Like I, I, I've had out of body death experiences just in a very intense breathwork class. Um, but I, through plant medicine, um, psychedelic assisted psychotherapies, um, Jade, you're down there in Costa Rica. You, you shared with me that you've gone through a couple of plant medicine ceremonies and experienced uh, this, this ego death. Um, which I'm, I'm excited to kind of hear your interpretation of this and, and how this, this psychological, this ego death version has maybe shine a light on your actual living self now. Oh man. Yeah. This, uh, this is crazy guys. By the way, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't think anyone needs to or should do this. I don't necessarily think that you have to, if you feel called to it, fine. But I'll tell you what, everything that we were talking about today, last week, um, I got to die before I died. And I'll tell you, I had two different experiences, which is really apropos. Actually, it blends really well into this discussion we're talking. I'm not someone who likes drugs, period. <laughs> the first time I was 
high on marijuana was a junior in college. The first time I was drunk off alcohol was a sophomore in college. I don't like drugs. I still don't like drugs. But to grow as humans, we need perceptual, perceptual challenges. I have a model I work with called the six powers. It's not important, but it goes by the acronym powers. And the P, the first kickoff point into growth is perception. We humans need to see the world differently from different angles if we're going to grow. So this is what brought me to plant medicine. Now, taking this plant medicine, um, I am not someone who likes to be out of control. To me, being out of control is equivalent to death. And I fought this and fought this and fought this. And this is why I would say, don't do my friends are asking, should I do this? And I'm like, no, because it was absolutely terrifying. I felt like spiders were crawling all over my body. I felt like I was dying. I was completely out of control. I was, uh, you know. So purging repeatedly, I, my body was convulsing. This was the first night. Now that first night I took way too much medicine. I didn't know, but I got to a point where I just wanted things to end. And I literally said during that, I'm ready to go. Just take me. I do not want to be here. And I literally felt a separation from myself. I literally thought I died. And it wasn't that scary, actually. I went to a pretty blissful place. But the point of this is really interesting because here's what came to me, and I'll share this with you, which was really beautiful. And by the way, I don't know, I'm not saying I believe this, what happened to me. I'm not saying this is capital T universal truth. What I'm saying is once I let go and gave over control, what I was shown was something pretty amazing. And it went like this. And by shown, I don't mean there was some spirit guiding me around. I mean, I was in a dream state, except I didn't know I had a body. You know, like when you're dreaming and you're like, oh, I'm in my head and I'm dreaming. This was like, I'm out there somewhere and I'm dreaming and there is no jade body anywhere. So I'm kind of in a dream state just out in the world. And here's what essentially it showed. And I'll, I'll, I'll uh, walk you through this and then I'll tell you how this is so powerful. And actually, it just dawns on me that even now that I'm having this conversation after the fact is really interesting coincidence. We humans, this is what I got in this experience once I released control. We humans, we are, uh, and our source or spirit or whatever you want to call it, has one goal and one goal only, one thing that it wants to do. And that one thing is to have experiences. And in order to have experiences, it must feel. And to our source, our spirit, Every experience is valid. Heartache is every bit as beautiful and useful and interesting as heartful love. Every way that you can infinitely die. And in this process, I literally died getting shot in the head in slow motion. I was attacked by sharks. I was in hypothermia. I was having these experiences and they were interesting, not scary. And what dawned on me is that it's our judgment around all of these things that humans do, that the human consciousness does, that source doesn't, that scares us. But to source, it's all just interesting. It's like watching a movie. If all of us went and watched a movie together and me and Chase and Nuncio and all of you are sitting there and the movie starts and it's this beautiful, blissful person and the whole movie, they're just beautiful and blissful and everything's wonderful. 
we would walk out of there and like, that was the worst damn movie we ever saw in our life, right? We would just be like, what the hell did I just watch? What we want when we watch a movie is the full experience, the ups and the downs, the anger and the angst, the frustration, the pain, the lessons, the growth. And when we come out of it, we feel enhanced. Some part of us is changed. We are better humans as a result of it. So what I understood in this, you know, quote, death is that this is the game that we are playing. But instead, what we humans do is we decide to stop the movie, and this is the best I can explain it, and put it on a three-minute loop and just watch that three-minute loop again and again and again and again. This is the loop I want to watch. And these are going back to the repeated patterns, the recurrent emotions, the uh, obstacles that pop up again and again and again that we will not kill. And part of what our spirit or source wants desperately is for us to stop watching these three minute clips. That's the frustration that you're having. I even was made to understand or felt like I understand that the purging that happens with this particular plant medicine that I was on, which was ayahuasca for those who are, you are, who are interested, that the purge is actually energetically trying to move us past these old stuck wounds, these old three minute loops. And once we move past those, we get to step into, we move past them, it's a psychological death. It's a release of this thing that we've been holding and it opens up space for plus one. Negative one goes away, it dies. Plus one takes its position. And this is what I think is really interesting that we're having this conversation because this experience I had was a feeling of physical death, but also the mechanism by which we need to approach psychological death. So when you go back to these stories that you wrote down, see them as three minute loops that you continue to want to watch. And that is why your story keeps getting caught up. What must you do to break free from that three minute loop? It's not about your partner being different. It's about you being different. It's radical extreme ownership. It's the idea that I will show up differently, period. It's not that people are toxic. It's that you keep exposing yourself to toxicity. These are the realizations uh, that I think we need to come to. I don't think, by the way, that you need to do plant medicines to get this. I have had this experience for me in writing. Chase has talked about it in breathing. There are many different ways uh, to do this, but we must do it. And I actually think the most powerful way to do it, the one that is easiest, has nothing to do with esoteric plant medicines or anything like that at all. It's simply, I am going to be a method actor. I am going to play a new role and I am going to wake up tomorrow as if Steven Spielberg put his camera on me and it's on me and it's staying on me and they are watching me and I have to play this part as if my life depended on it. And I am going to be this new method actor. I am going to be it until I see it. And once you start doing that, everything begins to change. 
this to me is the way you kill yourself. And you also remember physical death is coming. You better do your job. Your precious cargo is important. I really do mean that about all of you listening. It is so critical. We could be teaching the same thing you and I, but your voice, your way of delivering it, your energetics, there are just going to be people who need to and want to hear it from you, not me. It is essential. I'm sorry to break into the show, but I wanted to take a second to cover one of our sponsors and tell you all about Paleo Valley at paleovalley.com. These are the grass-fed sticks that I tell you all so much about that all of my friends know I have on hand constantly. They are in my car. They are at my house. I keep them at my sister's home and my parents' house. I have these things everywhere because they are the simplest, most convenient whole foods protein supplement you can get. Almost like carrying around pure protein, low-carb protein in your pocket. They also, these Paleo Valley beef sticks, are the only, the only 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef sticks on the market. They use organic spices. They are naturally fermented. Instead of using nitrates and nitrites that can be a problem in some of these cured meats, and they simply taste fantastic. Check out the original or the jalapeno. Those are my favorites. Please make sure you go over to paleovalley.com and visit. When checking out, use the code NEXT level for a 15% discount. Remember, our sponsors keep the show going by you giving them your patronage and spending your money on these high quality products. You actually do a few things. One, you're helping to support the podcast and two, you are helping your health and three, you are making sure that good quality companies like Paleo Valley can be out there doing their business changing the world, making the earth better. One of the things you may not know about this is that grass-fed organic and grass-finished beef is doing something that is so utterly important for our environment, actually helping to repopulate the topsoil. A lot of people don't know this, but our topsoil is being extremely depleted and raising animals, especially cattle, the correct way helps to get that topsoil back. This is one of the reasons why I love Paleo Valley, not to mention it tastes fantastic, but they're one of these companies, like my other sponsors, Cured Nutrition and Organifi, that are doing the right things by the environment. I really appreciate everything they do, and I hope you will check them out. Thanks so much. Paleovalley.com. Use the code next level. And now back to the show. If you die before you die, you will not die when you die. Um, it's this incredible phrase I picked up from a recent book. I'd recommend if anybody's interested in kind of this philosophical, religious, and psychedelic kind of amalgamation, uh, this book called The Immortality Key. Um, incredible. Um, but Jade, I just want to say thank you again for your time here and your expertise, um, sharing your journey, your story with us here. Um, this has been a great reminder for me for so many things. I, I picked up so many new aspects, and it's and it's this whole concept is meant to be a reminder of the ultimate thing that we all only have to do so that it can be can be that dark passenger with us you know each day it can it can be the steven spielberg on camera on with us every day um it's not meant to be scary it's not meant to be fearful 
It's just meant to be an honest reminder of what matters. And so with that, I want to say at the beginning of the call for everybody that was here, uh, I had you write down three of your priorities for tomorrow. And now on the fourth line, put I must die and see, see if that changes any of those priorities and or just see if that changes how you approach them. I'm not saying that they needs to completely rewrite your day, rewrite your goals, rewrite everything. That's not the intention here. It's just meant to be a reminder of why you're doing things and how you're doing them. And I think for me, that's the ultimate action driver when it comes to goal setting, when it comes to anything I'm trying to change or level up in my life. Um, anybody have any questions, any comments uh, here for the good doctor before um, we kind of wrap it up? For the night? Yeah, Brian, go ahead. Yeah. Jade, really appreciate that. Super interesting. I've never like thought about kind of this ego death and this rebirth and that's kind of cycle of it before. Um, so it was very new to me. So I appreciate you kind of <laughs> dumbing it down as much as, you could, as much as you could. Um, so I'm looking at my list of my stories, right. And there were some things that you said that kind of implanted in me. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe that's true. And there's other ones that I kind of came up with independently. How do you audit some of these things, right? Because there are biases, of course, in the way that you see um, the world. How do you know what are authentic or what might be a cover for what's actually being presented? Um, you know, like, I guess now that I have the stories written, what would you suggest is the next step to make sure that those stories are real and that they're worth tackling? Yeah. And here's the interesting thing. Whether they're real or not, they're going to have an impact on you. So here's what to do. Um, Write down now, next to that, think about the story of your perfect life, the be it until you see it part, right? There's going to be one of those stories that is most detrimental to you playing that part for Steven Spielberg. One of those stories is going to jump out at you right away. It's going to be apparent. You might already see it. Do you guys see it? That's the one that you tackle first, whether it's real or not you begin to tackle that one first. And here's what will happen. It will become apparent whether it's real as you begin to be it until you see it, because you'll start to go through your life and be this thing. And these old stories, they'll fight for your life. You're choking the life out of them and they're going to kick and scream a little bit. And so they are going to pop back up. And if it's not actually a real story, then there's nothing to kill. You're going to be able to move on really quickly. But the ones that start fighting back those are the ones that you really need to stick with. Does that make sense? Because they will fight back and they'll make themselves known. As a matter of fact, it's going to be uncanny, Brian. It's going to almost be like the person, you know, all the dysfunctions, the, the people who've brought out that story, the things that have brought out that story. All of these things are going to repeat. You guys ever notice when you think you've broken a pattern, right? And you're just like, I licked that. Guess what happens? That pattern comes back up, isn't it? It's like that, that relationship that you thought I'll never be in a relationship like that again. And then guess what happens? You find that relationship right back in your face because it wants to make sure, are you really going to choke me out? And what you have to do is be like, yeah, I'm choking you out. You know, people like this, right? They're just like, you've had friends where you go, here you go again, man. You don't date people like this. You don't have people like this. There's no second chance here. That's when you know you've licked the story, by the way. It's not one. It's not two strikes, you're out, or three strikes, you're out. It's like, no, my next level self does not entertain that even a little bit. It's a one strike, you're out. That's how you're going to know, brother. 
I, lo- I love that. I love that concept there, Jed. Um, Brian, what just kind of came to mind for me is that it, it's oftentimes through this audit of these things in our life, these things, these tasks, these, these habits, these, whatever, um, oftentimes it's not the actual thing. It's our approach to it. Cause like Jade saying, that's going to come back around. Like we can't actually kill these things that I don't like this. This doesn't serve me. This doesn't support me. I don't have a good relationship with it, him, her, whatever it may be. We can't actually kill that entity off. What we can do is audit it to realize the level to which it's showing up in our life. And then we can kill off our approach to it. So it's the thing that is going to inevitably come back to test us, like Jade's saying, about have we killed off that approach? Are we are we actually, you know, have we transcended from that? That's what actually is yeah. going to die. Think about it this way. I think dating is a good thing for this, right? How many of you would would possibly even entertain dating the same person, kind of person you dated when you were 18 years old, barring anyone who's married to their high school sweetheart? You're, you simply wouldn't, would you? Because you are not that person. They couldn't even stick on you. You're just not that person anymore. That person that was attracted to that human is long gone. It's impossible. So yeah, you didn't need to kill it. You just created a you know mosquito repellent. It won't even come around you anymore. Any other questions? Yeah, I got a question for Mr. Jade. Brother, uh, thank you again, man, for, for such an insightful conversation here. Um, I'm going to ask you this. I really, really enjoyed the part being a filmmaker, being a videographer myself, you, you know, yep. um, the part of playing a new role and the Steven Spielberg uh, metaphor you, you said. When, when the pursuit for the new role and kind of, like you said, play the role, you know, the camera's on you. What if you're not physically outwardly the person or the role that you want to slip into? Um, I guess I'm going to figure it out through my just talking to you about this, but mm-hmm. would you say you have to almost um, play the role of becoming that person to play the role that you want to play? Yeah, it's an it's it's an energetic position that you occupy. It's not a physical position that you occupy. I'll say that again. We humans, we don't occupy a physical position. We think we do. We occupy an energetic position in space. Right. And so if you occupy an energetic position of being overweight or being heavy, uh, you are you're you're uh your physical nature is going to take that on. Okay. What we do, our perceptual fields then play that back to us and it's on loop. Right. And I'll, I'll, t- I'll, I'll, if this doesn't make sense, I'll make it make sense immediately. How many of you have ever had the experience where you wake up and you look in the mirror, maybe even weighed yourself and you know that you're heavier than you were, or, you know, there's no difference in your physical appearance, but you just look better to yourself. You just are like, I look good today, right? But you really don't. Or, you know, you've lost a couple pounds and you know you're down five pounds and you take a look in the mirror and you look fat as hell to yourself and disgusted with yourself. Don't we all have the experience of this disconnect between our physical selves and our energetic selves? So what I would say, and this is such an important conversation, this is, this is like, I think, the best question 
that we all could be asking ourselves because everyone does this. Before you, you can see it show up physically, you have to feel it energetically. You have to be able to look in the mirror and energetically see yourself as the person that you are. I'll tell you, I've done this with myself. There's, there's something in psychology called enclosed cognition. What it means is if I wear these glasses to take a test, I'm going to do better on the, that test. If I put on a suit and walk around, I'm going to also feel more successful and my posture is going to change. And so what I would say, Nancio, to this is you begin to dress like this person. You begin to do your facial hair like this person. You begin to cut your hair like this person. You go about and buy the shoes that this person would wear. You start doing everything. You rearrange your house to look like what this person would have in their house. And then look at the extensions. You rearrange your refrigerator to what this person would have in their refrigerator. You rearrange the, the restaurants you go to. When I say, you know, energetically occupy a space, what that entails is you are environmentally changing everything. And so what we tend to do is we go, my environment is my physical body. It's really not, man. Your, your environment is the energetic signature surrounding your physical body. And think about this. As soon as you change all those energetic signatures from the refrigerator to your clothes, to what the mattress you sleep on, to the things that you're seeing, to the things that you're reading, to the people you hang out with, is it possible for your physical body to stay the same? I would say not. It's only a matter of time before that physical body begins to energetically occupy the place you already are in. And that is, I think, the mistake that we make. We go, I got to see my physical self change first, then all the outside things will change. No, we need to be it until we see it. When I say be it till we see it, I don't mean just in here. I mean everything out there. When I mean, that's why I use the word murder yourself. You are gone and you did it violently. There's no peace left that you can point at in your physical environment. Yeah, think about that. Think about how, um, how you walk into work every day compared to maybe the version of yourself or the version that would walk in if it, it was that your boss. Like, how do you walk in versus the, the promotion that you hope that you get? How, how do you walk in and, you know, carry yourself in public versus the person who is, you know, this next level version of yourself? Um, you know, are you are you showing up in the world acting because like you need this next client, you want this next client, you need this next thing, you want this next thing? Or what about the person who already has it? The, the model that you set before yourself, you know, it could be one of us here. One of us could be looking at somebody else and going that aspect of, of your life. I want I think I need to work towards it to get there. Well, just what does this person do? We all leave crumbs. Success leaves clues. And, it, and for me, it all comes down to everything that Jay just said. But even just in your habits, what habits does this successful version have of yourself or this person you think is out there? What are they doing in the mornings? What are they doing with their time? Are they wasting their time? Are they time blocking? Are they saying no to things? Are they saying yes to things? Who are the people that they surround themselves with? What movies do they watch? How do they fill their free time, their, their work time? How do they honor their time? For me, it all comes back to time, you can tell. 
Um, and, and just, you, you kind of like, you reverse engineer everything from the outside in instead of the inside out. And I couldn't agree more with Jade. I mean, that version of yourself will literally just one day you look in the mirror and be like, oh shit, there they are. Because everything else has been manifesting it. Yeah, it's funny. If you go back and look at, and you'll see this, if you go back and look at pictures of myself from 10 years ago, it's not a human that I recognize. It's not. And nor does the, any environment that I live in resemble any environment that I, I lived in then. That's the way it will happen. And it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. I love that question, Nuncio. Thanks. That's a, that's a really important one. Uh, I think it re yeah, really embodies the whole aspect of here, Memento Mori. Um, anybody else? This has been great. Thank you so much. I hate um, to ask another question if I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead, man. Um, how would you say, kind of going from that, how would you say um, outwardly people, other people that have a certain image of you and you want to take on this new role, um, how, how would you deal with that? How, they, how would they, you? They like, don't. I'm sorry to jump in there, Jay, but I'm just going to tell you, they don't. It, it's, it's your own perception. You're not who you think you are. You are who you think everybody else thinks you are. And I don't mean you, I'm saying that in general. It's, it's our own perception. Nine times out of 10, it's our own perception. It's we think of ourselves what we think other people think of ourselves. And so it, we can change their perception of us by changing our perception of us. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'll give you one rule that I live by that, that uh, hopefully may help you all. Uh, this is a hard and fast rule for me. Um, never, ever allow someone to treat you a way you are not or no longer wish to be, period. I will not tolerate that. I will not tolerate someone to treat me in a way I am not or no longer wish to be. Those people don't get to um, stick around me, to be honest with you. And this, that, what I just said there, think about what I just said there. Tell me that doesn't scare the hell out of you. Tell me that's not the epitome of memento mori. But that's what this takes. And this is the thing that not a lot of people want to say, but that is what this takes. Some of the people in your life may not be in your life anymore. And I would say a lot of the people in your life, most of the people in your life will not be in your life the way they have been because you will not be in your life the way you have been. Quickest way to change those around you is to change you around them. 100%. Well, uh, I want to, again, recognize Jade. Uh, if you all have gotten anything from this conversation, I know you have. Um, please follow him, listen to his podcast, consume his books, be in his world, because these are, are the success clues, the nuggets that he, that he leaves every day in, in, in everything that he does. Um, hell, even if you got a boo-boo, you can check him out. I mean, he's a doctor for God's sake. So, um, but, um, next, next level human is the podcast at JT on Instagram, follow him you know, at jtita.com. I mean, his books, his content is his philosophy, uh, his, his fitness, his nutrition, everything. Imagine getting fitness and nutrition advice with somebody with this perspective. It, it'll, it'll change your life. Chase, love you, brother. Nuncio, love you, brother. All of you guys. Thanks so much for, uh, hanging out really enjoyed meeting all of you and i'll see you on the instagrams and other places on social